This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome to Garden of Sound, brought to you by The Nephilist. I'm your host, Ian Turner, and my guest today is Ben Eldridge. But first, if you enjoy the show, I'd love for you to subscribe. Just head to gardenofsound.nz and click on any of the subscription links on the front page. And if you'd like to complete the listener survey while you're there too, I'd be most grateful. Okay, Ben Eldridge. He's been a cornerstone of the New Zealand music scene for over 20 years, playing with groups like the Heavy Jones Trio, the Reduction Agents and Dictaphone Blues, as well as providing his talents to current artists like Will McGillibray and Adam Hadaway. So where did it all begin and what artists over the years have influenced the Ben Eldridge sound? This is the Garden of Sound interview with Ben Eldridge on Plains FM 96.9. Ben, have you got a first recollection of music? Well, it's probably um, my dad's uh, listening to a lot of Simon and Garfunkel and Cat Stevens would be. And Mike Batt, who doesn't pop up very much at all. Who is Mike Batt? Mike Batt is the guy that wrote the Wombles song. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Kind of sort of a classical musician yep. that then made pop music. He had like one kind of top ten hit. Um, because he's a UK artist, where yep. he was playing on Top of the Pops. Yes. And he's it's, it's hilarious because they've obviously decided at the last minute that he didn't quite look cool enough, so they made him have an electric guitar, but he can't play the electric guitar, so he's running around in this clip on the Top of the Pops with dancers and stuff around him, pretending to play the electric guitar. It looks really bad, and it's a, it's not a very good song. That was great. <laughs> it was a magical mystery too, <laughs> yeah. almost. Where did you get your music from? Um, just always wanted to play the guitar. Apparently, my mother, sorry, my grandmother on my my dad's side was a very accomplished pianist. Although I never met her, um, she was Norwegian. Um, mm. And dad played the guitar. Dad had been in the merchant navy as mm. a radio officer. Okay. In his um, bachelor days. Yep. We actually learned he still had his first guitar, first guitar, which was a eco acoustic EKO. You see them, used to see them around sometimes. Haven't mm. seen one in ages. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I think he just brought one of those and took it out on the boat with him and learned how to play Buddy Holly songs. And mm-hmm. so that was always hanging around. And, you know, I got the mandatory piano lessons when I was about eight, mm. hated it, but apparently I was good at sight reading. And then just said, oh, well, I just want to learn guitar. And then as soon as I had high school, born three in those yeah. days, I got guitar lessons and never looked back. The guy that I was learning from was a really cool teacher, but then sort of all came together for me when I sort of made friends. I sort of bullied the sixth form guy called Stephen, who was kind of hanging out in the music room as well. And yeah. I saw, and I said, oh, you should give me guitar lessons because um, he was into Slash. Yep. And um, there was, a you know, I was going, like, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 has just come out. Okay. And it was huge, you know. Yep. And um, and he had, like, this guy, Stephen, had, like, a Leeds Paul copy. And um, I was like, Very oh, cool. Yeah, this guy's awesome. And I was like, oh, like, just, yeah, te- teach me. And he was like, oh, yeah, maybe, oh, I don't know. And I was like, no, 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 it'd be great. And, you know, I think I gave him, like, $5 for 30-minute lessons or something. It's pretty good, like, but that's I, a lot of money. Yeah, well, well you know, I was like, had to ask mum and dad. And, yeah. Had to bike over to his house and stuff, but yeah. but yeah, you had the the, the um, tab book for Appetite for Destruction. Oh wow! Pre-internet, you know, it was like amazing. You know, it's like when people had those sort of things. Yeah. Because otherwise, you were just trying to figure it out by ear. And so, what 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 was your favorite track from uh, Appetite for Destruction? <laughs> I think it's probably Night Train. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, and these two solos, and Izzy comes in first with this yeah. kind of weedy, you know, it's a cool weedy tone, but yeah. then like Slash sort of roars out of yep. the other speaker with that Slash tone. And it's yeah. just like, whoa. Were there any bands in the offering at that point? Not not for me, personally. I tried to, I jammed with friends at high school. Yeah. Um, and there was a band, um, there was some really good musicians that went through the school I went to, which was St. Bede's, which mm. you wouldn't think of as being a school that was tuning out great musicians, but it did. Um, so this is St. Bede's in Auckland or St. Bede's in Christchurch? Sorry, St. Bede's down here. Yep. Okay, so Just when so did you make your way to, to Christchurch? So when I was about seven. Okay. Yeah, and we lived right. in North Canterbury initially and then moved into town. So you had um, guys that were a number of years sort of ahead of you who were doing great things? There was one guy ahead of me who was, um, and when we were doing fifth form music, he was doing sixth form music because, sorry, he was repeating his fifth form music because he was sixth former. Okay. And that person was Nick Gaffney. Okay. And if you don't know who that is, he's like one of the most amazing drummers that, what can I say? You know Cairo Knife Fight? Yes. That's Nick Gaffney. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. He's like basically a session musician over in LA now. Okay. Yeah. Um, s- s- played with Anika Moa in her yep. early, early days, played with like all the heavy cats kind of up, up north. I think he was in Golden Horse for a bit. Okay. A ridiculous guy, ri- yep. like a ridiculous player. Like, so it is worth doing six form again. <laughs> yeah. I just remember he, um, I remember we had to do our practical assessment, you know, in front of like a handy cam thing. Yep. And I, I remember he just brought in his drum kit and set it up and did some John Bonham thing. And, it, and he was like, you know, this is like a 16 year old kid. Yep. And he was already like amazing. Yeah. And um, he was quite sort of, you know, imperious. So you sort of try and hang out with him and kind of, his friend but he wasn't really into that when does a guitarist or when do you think you found your sound i think the big one for me was was definitely jimmy page okay. yeah so I, I sort of skipped over hendrix yeah my best friend sort of at high school was also a guitarist so we hung out on the weekends and yep. you know i used to go over there and we'd play guitar yep um but yeah it was definitely i think Led zeppelin 2 was the first record i got of, mm-hmm. of Led zeppelin and mm-hmm. i got on cassette and then I think I got a copy of the um, Song Remains the Same, yep. the live console on VHS, so I could kind of see, you know, in what what, he, what Jimmy was doing. And so I had a really bad straight copy that wouldn't stay in tune. Convinced Mum that I needed to get a Epiphone Les Paul, yep. Sunburst, of course. Discovered that the pickups in it were microphonic. Basically, long story short, I sort of ended up trading this little terrible multi-effects pedal I had for some Seymour Duncan pickups, put that in there, and that was my first great guitar. So yeah. I guess that was kind of my sound, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't have it for long, but oh, um, okay. but then, yeah, that was, that was definitely my first great guitar. I was going to ask <laughs> the um, the questions. Yeah. Um, what did you move to after that? Properly as Paul. Okay. Yeah, we got it brand new, and it was um, it was cheap. It was like $2,300 brand new. Okay. And um, apparently it was, so I remember it was in the rock shop when they were on Casual Street. Casual Street, yep. And um, they'd like literally, we went in there and cause, um, I had another friend of mine, Rob, who's a, who's a guitar player, who's a bit older than me and we used to hang out at CJ's and the rock shop all the time. Yeah. And I remember going and they'd like had this fresh shipment of these pools and they were like, oh, this one's a, a second. And it was like, oh, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with it, but... So I went out and got like a, you know, HP finance thing yep. and paid it off at like $90 a month for however many months it took me. Yeah. But, um, and it was a great guitar. I wish I hadn't sold it in some ways, but I brought something better afterwards, of course. I'm going yeah. to stop you right yeah. there because it's time for some music and we'll, we'll get into the 20s in just a second. You've got a uh, Paul Simon track in terms of influence. We've been very heavy. We've been very <laughs> yeah. slash Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Led Zeppelin-y. 
And then we go into um, something which is slightly, yeah. slightly more chill. It is. And from listening, there's a lot of there's a lot of roads in there. <laughs> there is, yeah. I think he's basically playing with full jazz musicians. It was one of those albums that, <clears throat> excuse me, was in Dad's collection. I always thought the cover was just so daggy and ridiculous looking. <laughs> it's somewhat remiss of me to not name the album or the track that we're going to play. The track yeah. is still crazy after all these years. Okay, and why? Why did you choose this? I don't know. I just came back to him and his in those records and just thought just how good they were, you know, and and just like love his voice and his lyrics and and um, the way he paints a picture of his kind of New York life. And um, and the way he talks about relationships going wrong and stuff, and just so good. And sort of combine that with really that, um, I love that period in the late 70s of pop music that's like super sophisticated, you know, like not like pop music now, it's like four chords, if you're lucky. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, but this is like super heavy jazz cats playing um, like beautiful stuff that modulates and. Probably sounds a little bit fruity, probably, you know. So I haven't said that, actually. My daughter, though, she um, when she discovered, when I sort of, she heard me listening to this record when she was about 11 or 12, she mm. just loved it. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of her faves, too, so, yeah. Sure. 
watch the cars I fear I'll do some damage one fine day But I would not be convicted by jewelry of my peers Still crazy after all these years Oh, still crazy Still crazy This is the Gardener Sound interview with Ben Eldridge on Plains FM 96.9. Um, first big blown away wow gig. I'm, ple- I'm pleased to say it was um, Zoo TV at Lancaster Park. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So good. Yep. In um, circa 93. I yeah. Think. Nine, yep. I think I was fourth form or third form. Yep. I've been one, so it's 92 or 93. Yep. And so I, the cool thing was that I that played like the broadcast. Uh, there's like the Ber- there was like a Berlin version of the show on TV, like TV two, like some months beforehand, mm-hmm. just like a promo, because mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, the Zoo TV show is coming to New Zealand. You know, make sure you watch the Zoo TV special that's on TV two on Saturday night. Yep. Blah, blah. yep. So me and my sister recorded that. So yep. we just watched, and I just watched it all, almost every day. Yeah. And, um, and it's so cool then that you get to go and see it. You know, and it's exactly the same except a bit different. Yep. And you know you're seeing all those things like right in front of you because we were like super like right at the front and the yeah. 3Ds opened and you know the th- is in the, the I Hayes don't U- remember I don't remember that yeah Hayes used the three I remember they were looking at them and thinking they looked tiny sort of yeah. like this tiny band yeah dwarfed by a oh, huge amount of stage and um and the guitarist was like feeding back wildly and kind of and I sort of you know I was like I was a little bit like oh who are these guys they seem a bit sort of weird you know and yeah. um i remember they played that song out of space which stuck with me it was like that's a really good song but yeah but the ZTV was amazing um and just such a great time for you know to see you too i think you know like i think they came back again with the next record mm. to australasia i don't know if they made it made it to new zealand do you have any time for for the edge well, i was gonna say in a in a weird way he sort of ended up becoming a sort of an influence because it was all about the British guitarists, I think, um, when, with my first bands, um, Noel Gallagher, yep. Graham Coxon, although mm-hmm. it took me a while to figure out sort of what he was doing because it was a bit weird. Yeah, Bernard Butler, again, a bit weird, but um, also then the guy that replaced him, um, whose name I'm going to forget now. It was the young... It's, it's a like, Suede, isn't it? Yeah, Suede, yeah. 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 It's yeah. a really cool story. Uh, Richard Oakes. Richard okay. Oakes, the like 17-year-old that replaced him. Wow. Which is also a really amazing story. And the album that he made, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, coming out of it is just fantastic. I just have to yeah. jump in when we go across the, um, the other side of the Atlantic um, and a country. Favourite Chili's guitarist? Oh, Chili Peppers. God, I suppose it has to be Freshante, doesn't it? I guess it has to be. No no time for Navarro? Uh, No, not really. I found him always a bit weird. um, Not even in Jane's Addiction? I remember when I first became aware of the Chili Peppers was watching uh, MTV Music Awards and they had Eric Marshall on guitar. Yes. Who was there for literally one hot minute. Yep. (laughs) We'll go to commercial (laughs) now. And it's I was like, and it's it's like on the way. And that was before I became aware of the whole thing of, you know, like, I remember seeing a joke in a magazine as well around that time that said, 
um, at some point in the future, everybody will be a Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist for 15 minutes. Okay. So I was like, because I never, I think I like had Blood Sugar Sets Magic, but that was, yep. I didn't really go deep. Go further. Didn't really, no, not with the, I found, yeah, I was more into my classic rock, you yeah. know. Just back on the edge yep. uh, for a second. Mm. Um, what do you think his strengths are? He's the only guitarist in a four-piece band, yep. but he makes a big sound. Yep. Doing not power chord distortion stuff although mm. sometimes doing that yep. sort of stuff but um having just this big expensive 3d widescreen sound and um kind of avoiding cliches or tropes mm. um which seems to be a bit of an english thing you know you trace it back to johnny ma there's lots of sort of arpeggios and things yeah yep. it's sort of picking out notes and, and intervals and reverb and delay, delay. yeah all yep. those things it all seems to be very english yeah the americans it's more you know the ramones if it's janglier, then it's kind of the Velvet Underground, where it's a bit sort of just more art school kind of guitars out of tune, kind of that just serving the song. But, but yeah, with the English guitarists like the Johnny Mars, it's like a real sense of and uh, Bernard Butler, I suppose, mm. and Richard Oakes as well, and Mick Ronson, oh, and Brian May, of course, as well. You know, pushing into new territory and doing things with a we're being the only guitarist in a band, but yeah, just make, making a huge sound. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, what were your twenties like? Musically, um, what kind of bands were you in? Again, I sort of hunted down um, Dylan Thomas and Miles Alpres, and and basically somehow ended up making music with them. Mm-hmm. So they were in a band called the Tardy Grades with yes. Kelly Horgan, yes, who then I would later go on to be in a band with. Yeah, and I sort of knew of the Tardy Grades because I'd seen a couple of their videos on Cry TV. Great, you know, like so, so, such an important part of the yeah. landscape at that time. Um, yeah, and I sort of like thought, you know, oh, I was like, it seems like quite a cool band, you know. Yeah. Bumped into Dylan in the street or something. I can't remember exactly how it came about, and then just sort of ended up sort of you know, hanging out with them and yeah. the end, my, Miles. It was like, oh, we should get a band together, and so it was, again, it was, it's a, it was a trio. So only guitar on the band. Yeah, and Dylan was singing and playing bass. Miles. Um, singing as well and as drums and so we made this band called the Sundance Kids which was pretty short-lived really only a couple of years um some really cool songs Dylan was all about his pop music he was like when I met him he was like oh I just love pop music and I was kind of like well, what's that you know is that like the Spice Girls or something because mm-hmm. that's what it sounds like what was his description well he was kind of referring as I as I sort of um, discovered he was kind of um referring to bands like the Wanna Dies that okay. Swedish band yeah, yeah he yeah. was really into them the Blur yep definitely okay. and I sort of was like started listening to Park Life yep. and um Modern Life is Rubbish and just like oh, you know hearing all the stuff that Graham Coxon was doing again mm. he should have I should have talked about him before mm. another weird English guitarist doing weird things you yeah. know only guitarist in the band weird stuff with effects pedals yep. you know um, weird sort of like psychedelic guitar sounds but quite sort of just real original and creative stuff you know mm. that thing of like being not like a great guitarist technically mm. but then finding your own thing through that we had one sort of successful song called From Russia With Love, which was uh, my first experience in a recording studio. Where was that? Um, I think there was, a, there was a short-lived studio in town called Blast Studios. Okay, yes. Yeah, short-lived. It had, I think it was quite well cut out for the time. Yeah. Um, and we were and recorded it there. And that was with our friend Ollie Harmer, who now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's had a you know he's had a really interesting career, you know. Yeah. And I sort of knew of him a little bit through Lyndon from the yeah. Puffins, you know. So yeah, when I recall with Ollie and um, 
didn't really tour or anything with um i think i remember we went in a band competition the band uh this is sundance kids we yep. went in the rdu band competition the ducks yep. yep i think we got in the top four and dylan mm-hmm. was really upset and because well, he didn't make number one i think clown dog won okay yeah and they were like throwing sausages into the audience and we were like gimmicky like, we were like we're really serious about this music why are they yeah. winning yeah because they were sorry spanky if you're listening i love you yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I remember Dylan was upset, so um, and yeah, that's right. He got over it. Tell me about your relationship with Kelly. Yeah, so Kelly came along as and was going to join the Sundance Kids, and um, and it was it was cool. He'd been he'd been in Wellington at jazz school. He'd gone up there to do Wellington jazz school because of a girl who was going up there. Yeah, and then so he so that was so he started jamming with us, and then he did one gig. And uh, I remember there's actually video video footage of it somewhere. I think at my mum's house, um, and it was in the old ducks. And Kelly's amp pretty much stopped working after one song. We were just doing like a support set. Yeah. And so the whole video, if you watch it, is just Kelly's amp kind of going and him like making like these disapproving looks off to the side of the stage. Yeah. And me looking quite awkward on stage because it's pretty much the first time I played on stage. So I'm not like looking up, I'm not making eye contact contact with anyone. Yeah. And then he was like, oh, it's been really fun, but I'm going to go to Wellington and do jazz school. And we, he disappeared for a time, maybe six or eight months, I want to say. Came back, didn't work out. I think the thing with Dylan imploded. And then Dylan, what did Dylan do? Dylan went to Auckland, I think. And then we were still down here. And then pretty much Heavy Jones came out of that. Mm. And we got Joe on bass. Yeah. Because Kelly was writing songs, and um, this is Joe Barris. Joe Barris, sorry, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. What makes you want to play? It's like, what are your hobbies? It's like you know, I have other hobbies, but it's just the thing that's never gone away. You know, mm-hmm. um, I've never gotten sick of it. Although sometimes you're kind of like, oh, you know, there, mom- there moments when you wanted to give it away. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. There's moments when it's like not satisfying. Yeah. And frustrating, and um, you feel like you're not making any progress on your instrument, or you feel like you you have a bad sound, or <clears throat> you maybe you wish you it's like oh I really should have put more in effort into learning how to sing properly mm-hmm. instead of just being a guitarist. You know what? A, oh, that was a silly move. But then you know, we, like then you realize that you can sort of find like-minded group of people when you slot in, and everything feels great. You know, and you have like. It's like even like, you know, like having one great day in a recording studio recording a song or having one great gig or something that can keep you going. You can sort of ride a high wave for, for you know, weeks and months and, and then sort of, you know, sustain that kind of excitement about music again, you know. What's the one job you've taken where you weren't right? I don't know if there's been anything that where, I wasn't, where it wasn't right. There was definitely things where I like recorded with a band and then didn't play with them like they were mm. like they wanted to go and play shows and i was like no nah. mm. and i kind of got out of it by saying no oh, is busy. that a is that just a relationship kind of thing or you're not on my wavelength or you know? yeah there's definitely a bit of that yeah, yeah. i can't yeah. remember who said it um uh, maybe like a nashville musician i follow on instagram was talking about with gigs he's got to be three there's like three categories money music is in like the quality of the music you're playing and the hang and the hang is like you know how well how much fun you can have just hanging out with your bandmates so you've got to have two out of three so it's kind of it does make sense so if it's terrible music but it's a 
with your you're you're with your friends and, and you're yep. making good money, yep. then sweet. Yeah. If it's great music, but uh, I don't know, the people are dicks and you're getting paid like fifty dollars for a gig or something, plus twelve practices that you're not getting paid for. Mm. And you'll give it away. Yeah, mm. so there's, I think it's kind of a good little yardstick. So for aspiring, and I'm going to use the term session guitarists at well, least. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what's your yardstick? And I'm not talking about the actual pay. How do you decide? I mean, sometimes, that, oftentimes it's not even discussed, you know. And it's that whole kind of insecure thing of, it's like, hey, you know, you, and then as you get older, you get more confident. And you, you know, know your value? Yeah, exactly. Be like, hey, uh, or, or people. People usually tell me if, what the budget is if I'm getting asked to do something like that now. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess if you're not getting told, then it could be a bit of a red flag potentially. Okay. Yeah. But then yeah, it comes back to the uh, maybe it's a really cool song. You know, how much work is it? If it's just yep. one day, awesome. Is it like three days? Mm. Yeah. Because I have done some things where it's like. Oh, it's just a, a day, and then oh, we're gonna come in, come back for another day. Well, <sighs> hey, do you reckon you can come back and do one more day and just fix up some bits and kind of get a, a, a so those things are a bit like uh... okay. <laughs> and now for something completely different, yeah. but slightly related. Roy Buchanan. Oh yeah. Um, this track I heard for the first time today. It's many things. <laughs> It's spoken word. <laughs> it is. It's some brilliant solo as well. Yeah. Why um why do you want to play this track? When you're a guitarist, there's lots of names that you'll hear, like yep. a, a famous guitarist that like and some of them you'll end up listening to and like kind of digging. Yeah. And then others they'll just go, you know, and you'll never listen to them ever. Yeah. Like somebody might say, Michael Schenker from UFO and you're like okay. Exactly. Never listen to him. Yep. But I know that name. But then, like, Roy Buchanan was one of those ones where it's like, I'd heard, you know, that name a few times. So I was like, oh, yeah, Roy Buchanan, who was that? And then I remember watching that film, The Departed. Yep. Yep. And the closing soundtrack on that, uh, sorry, the closing clip. Yep. Is the, after he shoots, sorry, spoilers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, as the credits roll, is yep. um, is Roy's version, version of Sweet Dreams. Okay. And I remember watching it, you know, on DVD when it came out 15 years ago. And I remember just going, going who was that on guitar? And like, yeah. look, looked it up and I was like, oh, it's Roy Buchanan. Uh, and then, of course, went down the rabbit hole with that. And just, okay. um, this was pre-Spotify. So just, you know, got on the net and probably ripped his entire disc- discography, but which is patchy. But um, but the first two records are amazing. What's yeah. his, um, what sort of time period are we talking for? Good question. Because, I mean, if it's Sweet Dreams. So it's the Patsy Klein tune. Yeah, he doesn't. Oh, okay. He doesn't, he doesn't I'm thinking the rhythmics. No, no. So this is yeah, this is sixties. Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. Okay. So he's it's a, it's a roots music. Yeah, um, yeah. So cool. he's a and he's like one of these guys that's like associated with like Hendrix is associated with the Strat, Jimmy Page is associated with the, the Les Paul, Roy Buchanan is the Tally Master, the okay. Telecaster guy. So I was getting into the Telecaster at the time and like um, through a couple of other players and they had also talked about Roy Buchanan as well. So. Okay. And um, yeah, he he pioneered all these interesting techniques and yeah. volume swells and okay. behind the nut things yeah. and crazy sort of just screechy. It doesn't always sound pretty. It sounds no. kind of screechy. And yeah. I, I have heard some people talk about him and go, "Oh, I can't really, you know, it doesn't. I just don't like it. It sounds like screechy noise." And I can kind of get that. But yeah, Messiah will come again is, is is a really cool one. But yeah, Roy's he's he's one of the the heavy Telecaster cats. Mm. Thank you. 
smile. Just a glance. The Prince of Darkness. He just walked past. There's been a lot of people, and they've had a lot to say. But this time, I'm going to tell it my way.
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Ben Eldridge on Plains FM 96.9. We talked briefly about the formation of the Heavy Jones trio and um, things were going quite well in Christchurch, I guess. Things were going well in Christchurch. Yeah, we did. Um, That band got a real positive response from the get-go and that's a full credit to Kelly's songs because he was writing really great songs. Yep. And it just so happened that we were sort of the right musicians at the time to help realise it, I suppose, you know. Because it was pretty much a, a folk, a, kind of a folky rock band, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard, yeah, yeah. hard to describe. Yep. Kind of a rock and roll band sometimes. Yep. But, yeah, yeah. Um, and Joe was, um, Joe was uh, had really great harmony vocals, so that was really cool. Um, Joe, Joe Barris. This is all post Deluxe Boy, I imagine. Deluxe Boy was running at the same time. Okay. Yeah, we even did gigs where we shared the bill and the bass player. I know. Um, so, but you know, it was going really well. And um, but the big thing for us was going, we got added to the national tour for the Z um, first Z album, Silencer. Yep. So we were, and they were, those, those shows were like sold out and we were playing like big venues and stuff. And the music seemed to, we seemed to go down really well every yep. night and it was really fun. And then Neil Cox mm-hmm. recently passed away. I'm not sure if you heard of him. Yeah. He was awesome. He was the sort of uh, tour manager, I think, was his official role at yep. that time. And he sort of took us under his wing. And one of the main instigators of Cry TV as well. Right. Oh, I didn't he know was. that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was so cool. He was just a really cool guy. Took us under his wing, helped us out, um, gave us some gigs later down the track when he had a promotions company called Big Deal. Mm-hmm. And he brought um, some bands out to New Zealand. And, yeah. you know, we opened up the shows for them. Yep. So everything was going well. And then we recorded a song called Staring at the Ocean, which was like our big, the big song. And we went to Auckland to do that with, and we met a guy, a couple of guys called Nick Abbott and Ben King. Nick Abbott is, went and worked over in the UK for a while. Um, he recorded uh, the first Pluto record mm. uh, that debuted, the famous Golden Horse record mm. out in Waitaroa, which is the studio we recorded at. Okay. And then also we were working with Ben King, who was in Golden Horse. Mm. And now is, um, I think Runza has a studio out in Massey in West Auckland. Cool. And he plays guitar with Greg Johnson, and he's a really good singer, and he's a bass player, and he's a guitarist. So two of them, they were really cool to work with, and um, the studio was great. Um, but and then we recorded in York Street as well a couple yep. of times, which was amazing, obviously. Yeah. yeah, it was just a really great time for New Zealand bands. It was like, we, we had lots of luck with funding, you know, and okay. um, had a few bites of that apple. And then, yeah, we hit, hit Auckland. Uh, so, yeah, decided to move to Auckland. Joe was going to stay down here, which was cool. Hit Auckland. Kind of, yeah, just sort of got a bit stuck. Couldn't find a bass player for a while. Mm. Uh, found Stephen Shaw, who um, who was really great. Um, and had played in bands like The Chills and sort of was coming out from quite a soul music background, which mm. kind of worked quite well with the music we were playing. Yeah. But, yeah, unfortunately for us, it was Garage Rock um, was the thing that everyone wanted to do because the Datsuns had just come out in the D4. And so suddenly here we were playing our folky rock that was all kind of like, you know, pretty sort of slower tempo. Do we try and change our sound to kind of like fit in with that, which Mm. is obviously the worst thing you can do. Yeah. It was a really fun, but obviously ultimately demoralizing experience. (laughs) But we all learned a lot, you know, and um, I met my wife and um, and at that time, and James Milne, um, aka Lawrence Arabia, had just moved up as well. Um, so he was there, and he was actually flatting in the flat that the Datsuns would, had based themselves in, mm-hmm. Greyland. Mm-hmm. I ended up joining a couple of other cool bands, the Reduction Agents with James. 
yeah, Reduction Agents album was, was really fun. Recorded that to tape in the stairwell of the lab studios, Ollie okay. Harmer again. Yep. yep. And then puffed around in Auckland for a while, ended up running into Ed Castello, who was also a uh, Christchurch guy who's um, to Grease K, if you remember that band from down here. Which Ben Edwards played in. Which Ben Edwards played in, correct. They, so they they went to Sydney and yep. they sort of puffed around there for a while, <coughs> yep. three or four years, and then imploded as bands do. And yep. he, came, he Ed ended up back in Auckland with a bunch of songs and a name for the project, Dictaphone Blues. So then when uh, Kelly decided to move back to Christchurch, we, Miles and it was Rob Collins on base at that time, um, and Miles and myself were like, oh, well, here we are, and, you know, we're a, a rhythm section and a guitarist without a band, and, oh, Eddie needs a band, oh, and we all know each other, and we're great friends. You know, this couldn't have worked out better. Mm. So suddenly we were Dictaphone Blues, Heavy Jones. So that yep. you know that band had become Dictaphone Blues. Yeah, and we played some really fun shows. We got we went around and played um, some shows with Liam Finn, and he was doing his live looping thing, which was super cool. You know, and for quite, the time, yeah, super yep. cool for the time. Yeah, and very sort of like whoa, you know. So when this song we're about to hear, yep. this is you and you and Kelly. How did yeah. this come about? So this was just recently out of the most recent lockdown. Fantastic. Yeah. So and um, so all my friends, late bloomer, I learned how to drive in my thirties. Yep. Same thing with computer recording. You know, all my friends that were recording on computers, like for the, have been for the past twenty years. Yep. And um, I was always like, oh, I should get into it, but I've, oh, I've missed the boat. Oh, no, it's going to be, it's like, you know, getting on the housing ladder. Yep. Too late. It's like, oh, no, it's too expensive now. Yeah. We have to buy all this stuff. But I just, um, I got a, um, I finally upgraded my computer to a newer MacBook and got an interface and a, um, pretty much just a, and GarageBand, you know. So okay. literally just, wow. yeah. And uh, just. Um, I wouldn't have guessed it, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> right, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And I was like, and I was like, oh, and there's drums, uh, there's drum loops and GarageBand that I can use. Great. Yeah. Um, so um, just wrote that track super fast and sent it to Kelly yeah. and said, oh, I need a vocal kind of, you know, like half seriously thinking he'd be like oh yeah whatever but then he like came back with it the next day and um and yeah and that was it and i sort of tried to <laughs> i got ptsd because i was like oh i should try and release this somehow i should so i started emailing like under the radar and various yeah. and i was like and, and it all came back to me like you know that sort of thing of oh that's right yeah um it's really hard when no one <laughs> you know you're trying to get people to care about your music <laughs> yeah. yeah you know sort of like back in the heavy jones days of like sort of sending emails to people and going hey yeah. We still exist, yeah. and we've done some things. <laughs> so the most recent lockdown, yeah. uh, and what has the reaction been well, to this? Um, well, again, it's I'd say it's totally gone under the radar. Yeah, um, I just you know stuck it up on my <laughs> Instagram and on my uh, Facebook, and uh, a few of my friends were like, "Hey, that's cool," and that was it. From what I've heard, you play on and the stuff that i've seen on instagram this feels some of the guitaring feels a bit heavier yeah than normal yeah it's fun to um i notice when i record with other people they always and even if they're dudes that are like i'm really into guitar that they then when they go to mix the guitars they don't tune all the guitars down and i always find that really weird mm. like hang on so you're a guitar band and you're a guitar dude and you've got a million guitars because I've been around to your house and you've got stacks of fuzz boxes, but then you're a bit you, scared. You're a bit. You said you dial the you dial everything back, you know, or you sort of edit things back. So, um, yeah. So when I, when it was me doing my quote unquote mixing, which I really don't have much of a clue to do at all. Yeah, but you're a great musician though, and it shines right. through in the song. Cool, awesome. Let's listen. <laughs> this is Ben Eldridge with. 
Kelly Horgan. You knew that anyway. That's the one. There's no need to be afraid Try and tell you as you go to This is the Gardener Sound interview with Ben Aldridge on Plains FM 96.9. You said something in the previous part of the show. You were talking about being a late bloomer. Yeah. Um, before we go for our advice kind of question line, are there any positives or is there an upside to coming to the party late? Yeah, I think there is in some ways. Um, I definitely managed to maintain my svelte early 20s figure for a long time <laughs> because I walked everywhere because I didn't drive. <laughs> so that was a positive. Here's the first lesson. Okay, brilliant. Love it. Um, what would you say to, I guess, mid-teens Ben? He's he's at beads. Yeah. 
sort of looking out into the distance yeah. and maybe looking up at yeah. some other folks who've done some cool things. Yeah. What would you say to that young man? I'd just say keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd say keep doing what you're doing. I'd say um, probably don't be afraid to just do stuff and try stuff. And um, Were you at that point? Maybe. I've always been a little bit reticent, you know, that kind of English thing, you know, of, you know, slightly uptight, I guess, you mm. know, about getting on, you know, that kind of shy, what's that kind of shy, retiring, humble thing about, oh, you know, I'm all right, you know, where, you know, where people are like, man, you're really good. And you're like, oh, I'm all right, you know. It's like, don't, I guess my advice would be like, yeah, that's all right to be, to say, yeah, I'm good, you know. That would probably be my advice. And I wouldn't just say that to him for myself. I say that for a lot of people, you know, like talented people that I know that probably talk themselves down and say, oh, yeah, I'm all right. Well, it was all right. Because mm. we all do that a lot of as creatives, I think. Yes. Yeah. bad. It is. <laughs> Learn to take the compliment. Yeah, that's right. Looking further out, let's say the world opens up. Let's mm. say things are a little mo- bit more free and easy. Is yeah. there anything that you haven't achieved at this point that you'd like to do whether in New Zealand or, or overseas with music? Still haven't toured overseas with the band, which is very naughty. Ah, I know, okay. I know. But I've always just been happy playing music with my friends. And, you know, I mean, I'm in a couple of good bands at the moment. And, you know, who chat, are you playing with? I'm playing with a guy called, a band called Goodwill, which is um, Will McGillivray, yep. who was in um, Nomad. Nomad, thank yep. you. Yes. I met him through my friend Brad, who I mentioned a couple of times before, because yeah. Brad taught three nomad lads when they yep. went through um chili boys yep and then about a year ago i got an email from brad or well or both of them and then they were like hey do you want to come and play with us but play bass and like keyboards and i was like yeah totally because that sounds fun because I love playing g- keyboards so yeah. i just don't do it get to do it as, as much yeah and love playing bass and again same thing really just don't yeah. get to do it as much so finally fixed up this base that I had sitting around yeah. and, and got that serviceable one. So it's really fun and challenging. I'm playing keyboards, straight keyboards on some songs, but then left hand uh, synth bass. Yes. So there's no, and then other times I'm playing just normal bass guitar. Yeah. It's hard, but it's really fun. Yeah. And, and Will's great. He's a really great songwriter. Mm. He sounds, it's kind of, I guess the music's a little bit kind of like the national War on Drugs, mm-hmm. um, he, those are kind of his influences. Mm. Uh, any opportunity to pick up anything from him production-wise? Yeah, I have. I sent him a mix of that song and um, and got his advice. What um, did he come back with? I, I can't remember, but I think I ignored it. Turn the guitar down. <laughs> Turn the guitar down. I think he might have told me that. I think he told me that the solo was too shreddy, and I was like, okay. Piss off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Didn't actually say I don't that. care. <laughs> yeah. yeah, whatever. You stick to yours, Will. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. In general, I've just always picked up bits of information from those kind of dudes, you know, like deposited in my mental yep. brain bank over yeah, the yeah. years. But yeah, to yeah. be honest, it's like it's like as I said, you just futz around with something now, and it, if it sounds good. It sounds good. Yep. That's my that's my take. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about um, folks that you are playing with because we've got an yeah. Adam Hadaway track yeah. at the end of this. Yeah, the Haunters. Um, so you you are one of the Haunters? Yeah, not permanently. Okay. Um, but I'm happy to be included in this recent run of shows. Okay. The album's called Rooster. You've played on this track? No, no, no. no. Um, so I didn't play on any of the rec- recordings. It's oh, okay. Elmore, yep. Elmore Jones, 
who is currently in the Czech Republic. You're on board. For a few shows. Okay. But, um, but yeah, so great. I mean, I've known Adam. I went to jazz school with Adam. Yep. Um, and he was a young, nervous, he's still a young dude, what am I saying? But he was a, a anxious dude. And um, he was doing jazz. Yeah. And it was kind of square peg in a round hole. Yeah. Um, but he's super talented. You know, there was no denying it. Yeah. And then um, it's just been so cool to watch him, his career grow over the past wee while. And he's super prolific, which is so great. Yes. You know, um, I think a lot of bands could take something from that. Um, you know, it's like put a record out three years later. For, you know, there's like a big gap. But Adam is recording and releasing stuff, uh, it seems like, yearly. So, and then this new record is uh, 20 songs. So it's a double record, but it cuts uh, it comes in under an hour, so it's digestible. I just want your opinion mm-hmm. um, on another Christchurch artist, yep. Thomas Aspista. Oh, yeah, and Tom's in the band too, yeah. Oh, yeah, he yeah. is. Oh, yeah. okay, so yeah. he's playing as well. Yeah. Again, exceptionally prolific. Yeah, I mean, totally. Is yeah. there something in, something in the water that you guys are drinking? I think it comes back to their ease of, technology thing again as okay. well as as talent and yep. of course but um yeah i just think that um and yeah i think there is um Christchurch has always been like that i mean i remember it was like that um you know when i first started out you know um there was and everyone all the sort of like big successful bands a lot of them it was like oh you're from Christchurch oh you're from Christchurch the track we're going to play is Waiting for the Chill. Yes. Um, and as you said, it's it's Elmore on the record. It, it is, yeah. Um, I'm imagining you add your, your Ben <laughs> Ben Flaves. <laughs> I just try and keep it pretty, it's pretty straight out of the guts. There's not really a lot of guitar heroics in this band. I do get to do a couple of solos, which is fun, hey, yeah. but mostly I'm just a huge fan of Adam's songs. This one in particular, I remember he played it to me on headphones in the pub um, a few months ago. He was like, hey, you should listen to this because we were hanging out. And um and he's like Adam started out as a noisy pavement Stephen Malcolmus guy in this band called Sister Something and mm. then suddenly he was like it was like he woke up and he was like, No, I'm not doing that, I'm gonna be a roots guy because that's actually where my spirit lies. And yep. then and it's and he's just never looked back. So it's really cool. And uh, you know, this guy's in Christchurch, you know, he's doing making this amazing music all the way down the bottom of the world here. So yeah. Let's give it up for Adam Hadaway and the Haunters. Indeed. More importantly, let's give it up for Ben Aldridge. Thank you so much. It's been great to meet you. Great to have a chat and hear the encyclopedic uh, (laughs) history, uh, musical history. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's a privilege to love one another. 
Thanks for joining me today. Thanks also to Ben Aldridge for providing me with more content than I could use in a standard-length show. You can find out more about what Ben's up to by visiting gardenofsound.nz and clicking on his link on the front page. I'm Ian Turner. I look forward to bringing you Garden of Sound same time next week. In the meantime, keep well, keep listening, and keep playing. Enohorah. <laughs>